Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. So, we continue with the Swedish stuff with Gustavus Adolphus, and since I have nothing else, let's get started. Gustavus Adolphus was born on December 9th, 1594, to Duke Charles Vasa, better known as Charles IX. He was born in a period where his cousin Sigismund was ruling Poland before he was kicked off the throne, and he also had plenty of siblings and half-siblings because his mother was actually the second wife of his father. He was well-educated, and as he grew up, he showed that he had an energetic and vigorous character, along with sons of intelligence. He actually grew up learning German before he learned Swedish, seeing as his mother was German nobility. And when he was around probably 10 or so, he began to attend council meetings and diplomatic functions to learn how to be king outside of like formal education education and being taught, he needed to see the court and how it functioned, which served him well in the end. When he became a teenager, he began to rebel, you know, he enjoyed the company of young women, he enjoyed sports like hunting, and he many times would hang out with soldiers, which would lead on to his career as a future military commander. I mean, I understand it. He was 15 or so, and he'd been under a strict regime of education by his father and his tutors, so he was wanting to do stuff, and he was a rich royal kid who wanted to enjoy himself, especially when he was around soldiers. His father was initially displeased by this, but that was settled when Gustavus began to show responsibility and, and take his responsibilities as the future king of Sweden seriously. When his father died in 1611, Gustavus became the king of Sweden. While he was officially crowned slash coronated in 1617, he was the ruler. He inherited three ongoing conflicts from his father, which was the Kalmar War, which was the war with the Danish, which I mentioned last week, the ongoing secession and crown thing with Poland, and the conflict with Russia, which more or less abated quickly. The war with the Danish was, again, a bloody and more expensive war for both sides, but by 1611, it had been resolved. Peace had mostly been set out, although they didn't like each other. They just weren't in active conflict. And Gustavus was there for the last two years of it. And again, he was still worried about the Danish, so he kept his eye on them, just in case they wanted to make moves against him, seeing as they had a long history of potential conflict. In the war with Poland, between 1611 and 1617 or so, it was a long stalemate of back and forth, which would lead to some of the reformation of the military that he would do, which, again, I will cover in a whole other episode, as this is a whole big topic, seeing as I did a 20-page paper on it, so... It'll be a bigger episode, I hope. In terms of policy, Gustavus was something of a reformer, at least for a European royalty. He was willing to support more autonomy, especially in areas where he had already conquered, because, again, Sweden was not as focused on slavery and serfdom and all that deal. Again, more free farmers than the other countries. Another thing he tried to do, actually, was centralize his authority as the king by moving his court to be centered in Stockholm. Previous rulers in other countries in Europe more or less had the other important members of, you know, the advice or certain ministers of the government. It would be in their own estates, they'd be in their own lands, etc. He sort of focused political power in Stockholm, forcing a lot of them to stay there for a good chunk of the year which would then force them to set up networks and maintenance and running their own estates when they weren't there. Well, by today's standards, it was light. This was a major step towards what we would call maybe more central government, which would only grow as centuries would pass. This was an era where the government as we know it 
was beginning to form, or at least the government forms that he recognized. He had an easier time about it because his country was more homogenous than the HRE. Well, which I will say, it's not fair for them completely because they were a rather big group of people who had different ethnicities, different cultures, and a lot of different independent power bases. So it's hard to sort of center us saying, oh, we're all just going to be at Vienna because that could move as soon as the next emperor came aboard. He said, no, 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 my city or my whatever is going to be the capital. This is also a move away from feudalism, which was a growing trend across Europe in the 17th and 18th century. Many countries took longer. Russia was a big one for that. But Europe as a whole was moving away from serfdom, and most of them had already abolished it by this point. On the family side for him, he married Maria Eleonora of Brandenburg on November 15, 1620. It happened actually in spite of resistance from her family. Her mother had issues. Her, I believe it was her cousin or brother had issues. But... Eventually, those were gone through, and those two married. The two seemed to have a genuinely good marriage, and got along well. Marie was actually known for her intelligence and love of arts, which would pass on to their do- to their future daughter, Queen Christina of Sweden, which who's also an interesting figure in her own right, but outside the confines of this, and not something I want to really dive into. She was actually born in 1626, although that wasn't Gustav's first kid, as he had a son from a mistress in 1616 named Gustav Gustavsson of Vassiborg, who would join the military, etc., but he, again, wasn't legitimate, so he couldn't claim the crown. Gustavus Adolphus brought major changes to the military and would bring Sweden as a forefront as a military power in Europe, which would change the course of military history, which, again, I'm going to cover next episode, so be on the lookout for that, but it'll be fun. I will say, some of his achievements were, slash are debated nowadays, and how much of it was him, how much of it was his officers he took credit for, standard historical debate thing that happens, I'll leave it up to you guys next time when I cover it, so I'll leave my opinion to that as well, but I will say he did have a major impact, regardless. Gustavus is also going to bring a major impact on the Thirty Years' War, which, Again, more detail when we get into that involvement. And fun fact, he is the only Swedish king to be officially named the Great. The Swedish estates during the 17th century gathered together and officially put the Great on his title. So, fun. But, since we're far off, episode-wise, not chronologically, from him getting involved in the war, I will discuss the war against Poland that more or less went on from 1621 to 1629. This was based on Gustavus wanting the Livonian territories from Poland and the rivalry they had, which, again, Polish wanted the Swedish crown, that whole thing, cousins, I think they're second cousins at this point, I'm trying to remember my family trees, but blah. Between 1621 and 1622, the Swedes made advances into Livonia and Estonia, capturing Riga by September 1621 with around 16,000 troops. This was aided by the fact that Poland was occupied fighting the Ottomans, which resolved by the end of 1621. However, by the time Riga was captured, Gustavus's advances into the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth fell into a stalemate. Gustavus Adolphus's advance and operations fell into a pattern which frustrated him due to his inability to, well, advance. He had control over the sea and could attack where he wanted along the coast, but once he landed, the Polish could react fast and we'd only had a short period of time to make progress before the weather, disease, the Polish military would push them back or keep them from advancing. The Polish military at the time also had better cavalry, especially the famous wing Tsars, which means they could evade and beat the smaller Swedish horses. And the fact is, this new model of army from Gustavus was in its infancy, so they were trying to develop the pattern in their whole thing with their professional army. Gustavus Adolphus would try to get truces in the fall to consolidate his gains, but the Polish would refuse, which led to them raiding to occupied territory by the Swedes, pushing them 
them back or the plans of Gustavus. So no real major loss of territory from Sweden, but it was enough to frustrate them. He also was worried that the Polish and Lithuanian armies that would arrive after the Ottoman war was resolved, seeing as they were on the other side of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. A truce was eventually signed in 1622, but pieces out of reach, which is what Gustavus wanted. A peace would let him ratify the conquest that he had. The Poles would not agree on the terms that they would give up claims on the Swedish throne, which, to remind you, Gustavus did not have an heir at this point, and the next person in line, biologically, was the Polish king, or one of the members of the Polish court. Negotiations ground to a standstill, due to Poland's not wanting to give up old claims. I say old, but it'd been a couple decades at least. They settled into a pattern of watching each other, the Poles and the Swedes, that is. And Gustavus also kept an eye on Denmark, seeing what their move would be, because his men were positioned in Poland or other territories, so his mainland forces were weakened. Once he realized that the Danish were aiming to get involved in the Thirty Years' War and help out in that whole thing, he actually encouraged them, knowing that he wouldn't have to fight a war on two fronts, which I think was a smart move in the end. Danish and English actually decided to convince the Swedes to join the Hague Alliance, but Gustavus's mistrust of the, of the Danish and Denmark kept him from joining them, wanting to focused on, well... The whole Polish thing. The British, you no know, tried a second time. I guess the Danish were the deal breaker there. The war then resumed in 1625, and by 1626, Gustavus was able to secure Livonia after winning the Battle of, of Walhof. By winning that, he had effectively secured Livonia. Because he had secured Livonia, he changed his focus to Polish Prussia, which was a densely populated area within striking distance on the coast. His main target was actually Danzig, a majorly important city in the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth, and would be a issue of future wars seeing World War II as a, one example of that. That was actually one of the territories that Germany wanted to take from Poland. Well, plus the whole thing, but... Gustavus realized he was unable to attack the city directly, so he effectively conquered the Vistula Delta and the lagoon that separated the city from the Baltic, which meant that he controlled the trade that was coming into the city, which was not necessarily well-liked by some of the other Germanic princes. With his consolidation of those areas, he then moved onto the port of Pilau, which went against his brother-in-law. So, again, another one of the Germanic representatives. The war effectively became a stalemate, with both sides unable to move the other until 1629, when the Swedes were able to beat the Polish and effectively get them to want to end the war because both sides, the cost was mounting, as I described, war being expensive. An interesting factoid about this is the Swedes were actually able to drive back and beat the Polish hussars, which were historically a very feared military unit, and they were also a topic of one of Sabaton's songs, The Winged Hussars, which love that song, and they did earn the reputation, but the Swedish cavalry was also had grown and gotten more experience at this point. This is also a major change because the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was a power to be feared for a few centuries, but by the 17th century, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was on a slow decline, and it would only get worse from here. It's a whole part of Polish history of bad things happening in this time period, or at least after this time period. In a treaty, the Swedes got a large amount of Livonia, which included Riga, and they also got several cities in the Royal Prussian territory they conquered, which meant they had a lot of control over the Baltic actually almost all control over the Baltic, and they also took a part of the ta taxing of the trade in the Baltic, which meant more revenue for Sweden. This treaty was more in the favor of Sweden, and was effectively showing that they were the dominant power in the Baltic, at least for the time being. This was also the first sign of success for the new military doctrine that Gustavus had put in place, showing that it could beat back a powerful military without any backup from other people. So Sweden was on the rise as the military power, and with the closing of the war against Poland, they can now focus their efforts 
on other matters, like potentially joining the Thirty Years' War. And to me, it was clear that Gustav Adolfus's leadership was a key factor in the success of the Swedish in this war, which cemented him as a major figure and would give rise to the Swedish Empire. One of the theories of history is called the Great Man, which is, you know, individuals, you know, Alexander, Napoleon, you know, they change history. And there is truth to that matter. It's not 100%. There's, you can always look at other lenses of history, stuff like that. But in many ways, sometimes that lens of looking at things is valid. You shouldn't forget about other lenses. I want to thank you for listening and I hope you're enjoying this. Next time I go over Gustavus's military reforms and the effects of them, and you guys actually get to see my research and a version of my paper, so I hope you enjoy it. The social media links will be in the description box or the links themselves. Email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. Reminder that I have a Patreon and to review and spread the word, and I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>